Fat Force Radio. Fat Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. This week we have Grandpa Batman in Texas. Let's go stars. The Bat Force Times in New York. Bat Force Tom in California. Go Dodgers. <laughs> and I'm Robin Cross in Canada. And this week's guest is a director, storyboard artist, character designer, etc. Known for his work on the world-changing Batman the Animated Series, Mask of the Phantasm, Young Justice, among many others, and many things that many of us grew up watching and still watch today. Please welcome the man who gave Harley Quinn her pigtails, Mr. Kevin Olsen. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kevin. How are you? I'm fine. I'm doing okay. <laughs> yes, I guess I did give her pigtails. Yeah, that's that's the legend, anyway. Um, well, no, was no, it? that's uh, the truth. It's like uh, Mike Gogan. Um, I mean, he Mike Gogan was on my crew, and uh, Harley's in prison, and she, it's the first time you see her like uh, just as a person, and she's blonde. You know, I mean, you know, and, and uh, we didn't have any character designs or anything for her, so Mike Gogan goes and puts her in, you know, her prison outfit, and he says, but she doesn't look like Harley, and I said, well, uh, yeah, it's because she doesn't have her, you know, she doesn't have the, you know, the thing, the, her hat on, so give her pigtails, just, you know, that that's what, that's what stuffs her hat, is just her hair. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it, it it makes her uh, recognizable to oh. her her silhouette with with the cowl on, which yeah. you know so really it, we we can recognize Batman without the cowl on because he has that chin the size of a Buick. So give Harley something that makes her silhouette mm-hmm. uh, recognizable, and uh, yeah, it's it makes yeah. perfect sense. That's yeah. brilliant. Character uh, by uh, that one that one was I got to give Mike Gogan credit though for doing the drawing. <laughs> So, uh, where are you located? Are you uh, in any of the areas where these fires are going on? Are you in California? Um, I'm in Los Angeles. Um, I'm, I'm actually fortunate that I'm, well, it's not fortunate. I mean, I bought the house <laughs> intentionally, <laughs> but um, I'm over near the ocean, uh, much closer to the ocean. So um, it's not as bad today. Mm. Uh, uh, two days ago, yesterday, it looked like Mars out there shit wow yeah it, it was like you know the sun comes up and it's just like the whole sky is just this red breeze uh it was pretty bad i mean it's in you know and but the wind seemed to have shifted so we didn't get the santa Ana's today so it's mm-hmm. a little bit better where i am 
But yeah, the whole coast is socked in, just uh, smoky. Mm. Mm. Uh, there's there's no no big fires near me this year. Um, but the last you know the last couple of years it was pretty bad. Hollywood Hills were on fire. Oof. Yeah, I know. California, mm. we go through it every year. Sheesh. I know. But, well, uh, let's uh put uh, some of our focus on some more pleasant things for a little while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to uh, sort of ask you for your uh, your origin story. Uh, what was your inspiration uh, that took you to the world of art and animation and everything that uh, that you've accomplished over the years? Um, well, <laughs> it kind of I um, actually it kind of started with uh, Ray Harryhausen. Um, there's two events. One was um, that I really remember starting to draw. I was four years old, and my dad um, took me and my brother to Milldale School, where I was going to be going in the next year. I was like four years old, and they were screening Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. And I, I had no idea what I was going to see or anything. My dad just says, "Yeah, it's got you know, it's got like it's got Sinbad in it." You know, <laughs> I'm like, "Okay." So we go there, and as usual, my dad gets us to the movie theater late. You know, it, it, they had it in the auditorium of the of the grade school where I was going to be going. And we're in the auditorium and, you know, dad's late. We're late. So, you know, there's no credits or anything. And I see like, oh, there's these guys. That's pretty cool. They got swords and stuff and they're walking around in this island. And then they come up to this cave and this guy comes running out going, help, help. And then the Cyclops comes out and I'm like, holy crap balls. I had no idea. <laughs> was not prepared for this and i was just whoa what is that i knew it wasn't real but it looked so real and um after the movie you know i went home and i just started tearing up uh, paper bags and just started drawing trying to draw the cyclops and i was drawing <laughs> and and the rock and i was trying to draw the whole movie um and that's kind of what i've been doing ever since that's that was actually started out. Um, another one was where I remember waking up in the middle of the night and my dad is out in the living room, like watching TV. And he was watching Earth versus the Flying Saucers. And this is like I was about, no, I was five. I know I was five um, because I watched the movie with my dad, you know, and it was like really unusual. He let me stay up late like that. But um, we watched Earth versus the Flying Saucers. And again, I was just riveted, you know, I, I never saw anything like this. So the next day I go to um, kindergarten and I just grabbed all the construction paper and I just started with the grab the crayons. And I just started drawing like all of these spaceships, you know, the flying saucers crashing into the Washington Monument <laughs> building. And I'm drawing like army guys shooting at like these the domed headed guys. And I looked around and I had like a crowd of kids around me and they're like looking at what I'm doing. And then the teacher comes over, looks at what I'm drawing and goes, oh, oh, and scatters the kids <laughs> and tears it up. And I go, this is, there's, there's power here. There's something. <laughs> so that's kind of what I've been doing ever since. And it kind of started with Harryhausen for the most part, but of course, um, Johnny Quest, uh, you know, just, 
I've just been in love with cartoons and animation and special effects and, you know, monster movies and just, uh, you know, just everything. It's like ever since I was a kid. And I really, really, there was in comics, of course, and there's just no way that I couldn't do this for a living. You know, I have no choice. And where was the point where you saw that, oh, this is something that I can do with my life? Um, it never dawned on me that I couldn't. Um, I mean, I mean, God bless my father, you know, my dad, he was a, here's my dad. He's a boxer, you know, uh, you know, he was a boxer. He's in the airborne in the Korean war. He's a paratrooper staff sergeant, you know, um, you know, kind of a tough guy. And in the whole family, you know, my dad was the one person that says, Hey, he wants to draw. He wants to draw. You know, my dad was like behind me 100 um, percent. He liked comic books, too. He just, you know, <laughs> didn't admit he didn't. admit. <laughs> it but, you know, my so, you know, that that was kind of, uh, you know, so I, I just never th- thought of doing anything else. Um, I didn't know how I was going to get there, how I was going to do it. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever fate took, fate took a hand, I guess. <laughs> did you go to any art school or like film school or, or how'd you oh, get into the profession like that? Um, well, I was, I moved out to California. I mean, I went to, I went to one year at the Art Institute of Boston. Um, but I was just, I, I was accepted <laughs> at Yale. Um, because the Hubleys were teaching there and it's, you know, Gary, I was a big, you know, Doonesbury was brand new back mm-hmm. in, in the seventies and, uh, the Hubleys, the John and Faith Hubley, the animation couple were teaching at Yale and I was just jazzed to try and do that. So I sent actually through the mail, I actually sent my portfolio, um, to the Yale architecture school and, um, they said, great, you know, yep. Okay. You know, you, you're, you, you can do it. And then I called them up and I talked to Yale on the phone and, you know, and it was a great conversation, you know, and he says, yeah, well, you know, you, you know, we're, you know, ready. We, we love, you know, we think you have talent and all that. And then they said, and it'll be about $60,000. I'm like, what? It's like, that was more money than I could even imagine having. And can I, I get a scholarship? Yeah, yeah. I, I, can I get a scholarship? And they're like, oh, no, not for you. <laughs> it was $60,000. So then I started looking for other schools, and I in, ended up at the um, Art Institute of Boston, which was um, had some very good teachers, you know. But living in Boston, and, and the great thing about Boston was access to the museums, like the Gardner Museum and Boston Museum. I mean... That was really essential, you know, just learning to draw, you know, um, learning the methods. I had a good uh, life drawing teacher, uh, Nate Goldstein. He's, he was a great life drawing teacher, and he, like, actually, you know, helped a lot. But, again, living in Boston, I was poor. And when winter hits in Boston, if you haven't got money, oh, my God, you know, it's like you are starving to death and cold so and um after that though 
I was working in diners and stuff with, you know, the Olympia Diner in Connecticut and saving up money. And my dad helped me as much as he could. And I ended up going to New Jersey to the uh, Kubert School. Oh, okay. Um, the second year it was open, I was in like the second year class, you know, and I went to school with guys like Bassett and Toddleben and, uh, you know, and uh, Jan Dursima. I don't know if you know, it's like she she did the Star Wars comics and stuff. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And Tom Mandrake, you know, still really good friends with them. And uh, that's where I got most of my uh, comic book training, that's for sure. They didn't really teach animation there. But um, they uh, there was a lot of good teachers, like, um, you know, Tex Blaisdell taught inking. You know, and uh, things like that that just really stuck with me. But you knew that your focus wanted to be on animation and and yeah, I I mean I I was kind of scattered. I mean I I love comics. I want to yeah. do comics. You know, I do comics. I want to do comics. Um, that was great. Um, but I wanted to do films too. I wanted right. to, I wanted to do special effects mm. and all that, and wanted to do cartoons. I wanted to do animation. I was a big uh, Japanese animation fan. Yeah. You know, Eighth Man. Remember that show? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Eighth Man and uh, Astro Boy and Speed Racer. You know, oh, all yeah. the, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I just loved it. And uh, so when I got out to California, um, again, you know, starving for a while, <laughs> for actually quite a while. But I ended up getting into um, special effects first. And I worked with guys like Dave Allen um, on movies like Robot, <laughs> Robot Jocks. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Robot Jocks. I think the first, uh, the first movie, uh, a friend of mine, Gene Rizzardi, was a model maker. And he helped get me into, you know, got my portfolio in front of uh, the art director at Intervision. Tim Donahue, and then I finally started working in films, and I met guys like the Kyoto Brothers, Steve and Charlie Kyoto, and hung out with them in the 80s, and uh, they helped me out a lot. And, uh, you know, I learned, was it Charlie said, <laughs> I started doing storyboards for uh, live action, you know, special effects sequences, and designing effect shots for Intervision and stuff, and uh, Charlie said, after I was doing it for about three months, he says, how's it feel to top, be one of the top 10 live action storyboard artists in the business? <laughs> and it's like, I didn't know I was, but he said it at the time. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> I'm like, what? And then, you know, I was doing that. Um, I think I was working with uh, Dave Allen. Actually, on a Ray Harryhausen project, the one that didn't get made, Force of the Trojans. And uh, then there was a bunch of sequences in it where I really got to storyboard out whole action sequences, like Hercules fighting the, uh, well, they weren't harpies. I think they were harpies. They might have been harpies trying to bust into this cave where uh, Hercules is defending, you know, and holding them against this door. And I was designing shots where like he would like he had like this uh short bronze sword and he was like just every time like a harpy would stick its head through the door he'd just like lop it off you know so you'd have like special effects with you know like these flying harpies and 
And that was like, a, that was actually a, the closest storyboard I had to actual kind of actual animation. And uh, at that time, Inspector Gadget came on and it was like, well, I really liked the cartoon, you know, it was like really mm-hmm. nicely done um, uh, animation done in Japan. And that really, you know, that, that was really attractive to me. And it was one of the very few cartoons I liked. And they, uh, cause that was a pretty bleak period for cartoons, the early eighties. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> if you guys remember, it was yeah, pretty I, cool. I, I remember watching the shit out of Inspector Gadget when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, someone told me that they had, they were opening offices. They were a French company, a French Japanese company, Deke. And they were opening up offices in uh, Los Angeles. And I found out where they were in Studio City and um, literally knocked on the door with my, I had my portfolio of my, uh, I remember I had the Hercules storyboard in there and uh, knocked on the door and no one was there. And I walked into this place. It was the front of a storefront where they hadn't even set up yet. And there was like a couple of guys in there and they're saying, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, well, is this Deke? Yeah, this is Deke. Um, are you guys hiring? Yeah, we're hiring. Can you draw? <laughs> uh, you know, and I, so I walked over and it was Rudy Zamora was like, and uh, God, I think I can't remember who it was. It was Rudy and another director. It could have been Bruno or um, anyway, they uh, looked at my portfolio and said, can you start? And I'm like, wow. yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, can you start now? We, <laughs> that, wow. That's so crazy. You just walk in, you got the job, buddy. Yeah. No, and I, and I didn't know. The only um, training I had in actual animation, storyboarding, and it was actually kind of fortuitous because I didn't get to go to school for that. Um, but I would go to, uh, before it fell down in the uh, earthquake, the Northridge Mall had like these little film books from Japan and I didn't know who it was, but it, you know, at the time, cause I couldn't read Japanese, but it was uh, Miyazaki and they had film books of uh, Castle Cagliostro and uh, Albatross and the TV specials that uh, Miyazaki directed for TMS. And, and I got those and that is what I studied to learn how to do storyboarding animation style. I basically Miyazaki was, you know, my mentor there. Mm. And, uh, well, you know, Miyazaki is like, and, and then, then Deke had, uh, Japanese directors, you know, that came over with the shows. And so they were, you know, they were liaisoning with Japan and they worked with satellite studios of TMS. So they actually, like my storyboard a lot. I said, Hey, this guy draws like a Japanese guy. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, that, that was my training. And it was, it was a very short leap for me to do that. I, and, the, and it was easy to work with the, the Japanese studios. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's kind of, that's how I got started. And now from beginning that way, just walking into a studio and being able to get a job, you begin yourself on this path that, eventually takes you to one of the most influential animated series of all time and like to explain this to you we we spend most of our time talking to 
comic writers and artists. And the the majority of them tell us that what inspired them to begin doing what they're doing now for a living was Batman the Animated Series. Wow. So given that we're looking at this circle, I wanted to talk about your interest in comics. Like, what what do you love in comics? Oh, God. Um, for me, well, I mean, it's, it is, it is kind of the circle of life, you know, um, because I was pretty much raised by, uh, Jack Kirby, you know, the Marvel universe, um, more so, um, my Batman was the Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill Batman. Mm -hmm. That really hit me. I mean, I was a fan of Batman, um, uh, you know, everyone was, especially, you know, the Adam West show was great. You know, it was like, it was just so goofy, but well, actually I take that back. It was at first it wasn't that goofy because, because the villains always end got killed, you know, <laughs> and then they would show up later on. Remember Julie Newmar, the Catwoman, falls into the bat reactor. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and basically the Riddler Gorshin, the, the pilot, he like gets blown up. Or it, or was he blown up, you know? Anyway, but that was kind of my... Uh, but I wasn't really into the goofier um, comic books. But when Neil Adams showed up, and it became much more serious, yeah. um, that, really, that really hit me. And I was at the right age for it, too. Um, God, you know, I was like, what, what artist would, you know, you know, what people influenced me? It's like, you know, Alex Toth. It's like, where would I be without Alex Toth? It's like, the guy's just, I loved his comics. And then I also loved his, I recognized his work. Before you had VHS, or you could, uh, remember VHS? Before you could ever tape anything, it's kind of weird that I could actually memorize the credits at the end of a cartoon, because I knew about Doug Wildey, I knew about Alex Toth, you know? And I recognized them because I would follow them on cartoons. Um, and you could always recognize the style. But, yeah. all, they're, but they're also guys that did comics. And I loved their comics. Uh, another guy um, was really influential on me was Mike Plug. Um, my first uh, exposure to Mike Plug was when he was doing Werewolf by Night. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Remember that? And you know, I didn't know about Will Eisner or any of that stuff at that time. You know, there, it, there, there wasn't that many uh, books and stuff available. Um, but, yeah, Mike Plug was a big influence on me. And, of course, another animation guy. You know? And he, uh, it was, he's, he was a huge influence, too. And Richard Corbin. You know, when I was, I was, <laughs> I was much too young to be buying the underground comics that I was buying but like <laughs> Fantagore and all those things by Corbin, huge, huge influence on me. You know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to master an airbrush, you know, and I got pretty good at it, but I, well, cause I could, I could never figure out how Corbin just could uh, get all that modeling and stuff down. And just like these underground comics, it was, it was just fantastic. And, uh, well, you know, and uh, well, it's it's kind of weird, but even at 13, I was always thinking about cartoons, animation, comics, 
kind of all rolling into one inside of my head and I was kind of scattered and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Oh, yes. And I'm also influenced by the whole Brandywine school, you know, you know, Howard Pyle was a hero for me because I and just I wanted to do like historic paintings really bad. But it's so much work. <laughs> it's like, where do you get the training for this? And then there's N.C. Wyeth, you know, the whole Wyeth tradition. <laughs> I wanted to do that, too. It's just it's just too much. Yeah, so so many so many things were inspiring you to go in different directions. Yeah, and uh, but kind of like animation, kind of you get to do everything. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, that does that. Uh, now, if we uh, if we wanted to get in, like to to go deeper into the comics, uh, mm-hmm. give us like a. A, a top five list of uh, what you think were uh, were the best comic stories. Oh God, it's hard to say. Um, obviously, for me, one that really hit me big was um, Denny O'Neill's, uh, you know, Racial Ghoul. That yeah. whole the you know from Talia, the appearance of Talia through uh, Batman stripped to the waist in the desert dueling with Rachel Ghoul. That was great. That was great comics. Um, and uh, of all the things I looked at, and there's all these comics and all these characters that I loved, that one, for some reason, I was just like, I, at 13 years old, I just vowed that I'm going to do this as a cartoon sometime. Not as a live action movie, not as anything else, not, not as another comic. But I just thought I was going to do that as animation, and I actually got to do that yeah. with Denny O'Neill. Oh, you know? even better. Yeah. No, that was that was that's the kind of stuff that you can't really write. You, know, you, you, you can't write that story. You know that you know that I got to do that, but I did. <laughs> so I actually realized a certain dream I had when I was thirteen. And and the power of scenes like that that. Uh, denny and neil adams created um that influence was still being felt like as recent as a few years ago there was that tv series that they did on green arrow that was just called arrow and they did sort of a flipped version of that where a shirtless oliver queen was sword fighting ra's al ghul on like the side of a snowy mountain but it was, you know, almost the same thing. Like, clearly, this is where that came from. Oh, yeah. No, there's no question. No question. Copycats. Yeah. How dare they? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was, you know, the, Arrow, Arrow was like one of the, I mean, I thought that was actually a pretty good series, you know. And, and but, you know, it was like writers, like when I was growing up, Archie Goodwin. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, the Warren, from the Warren magazines, wherever Archie Goodwin landed, it was the the quality of the comic. It could be the worst dog of a comic book, and then Archie Goodwin takes it over, and bam, it goes through the roof. It's fantastic, you know. And something that I try to point out to younger readers about guys like Archie Goodwin is a great example. Even if you haven't been reading long enough or haven't read back far enough to know these names and and the work that they've produced you still know them via the influence that they've left on the creators that you do love. You know, yeah. the, the, none, none of the stuff that you're reading that's coming out now exists without those guys. No, 
No, and um, and absolutely, it's like we everyone who's working today, you know, doesn't acknowledge where all this comes from. Uh, is a liar, you know. I mean, it's like, oh, <laughs> I just this just boop, just popped in my head. I, you know, it's like, no, that's that's nonsense. It's like, no, we we we. Uh, well, it's like again, it's like I said, it's the circle of life. It's like. I've trained people, you know, it's like I got in and uh, people, not everyone helps you out, but there were, you know, like Hirakawa, Hirakawa-san, I don't think he's with us anymore, but he helped me out doing storyboards Japanese style and he under, and he helped me with, learned how to do timing and all those things, you know, and uh, I've trained people to do storyboards since, many people. You know, I've also I've taught classes, true, but it's like most of the teaching I've done, you know, that's that's just what you you know that's just what you do, and uh, you know where would I be, you know, without artists helping helping me out, or it's like you know it's like where would I be if I never saw Mike Plude's comics, you know. Where would I be without Alex Toth doing comics? And I actually got to uh, meet and talk to Alex Toth too. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he helped, you know, he, he, I tried to hire innocent boob that I am. I was like 26 <laughs> years old and I'm on real Ghostbusters. And I, I love that, by the way, when I was a kid. Oh, <laughs> that was so amazing. Yeah, thank you. That was, that was a lot of work. And that's actually. <laughs> The genesis of the crew on Batman, the first crew, Deke had a hell of a lot to do with it because that's where I met. Uh, it was me, Brad Rader, Dan Reba, um, John Calmet, who was a painter, background painter on Batman, yeah. Mike Gogan, character designer over at Deke. Um, these were all guys that I knew. Richie Chavez, who was uh, worked on the, the first couple of seasons of uh, Batman that, you know, Ted Blackman, who was the art director of Batman. He was at Deke. We're all there together at the same time doing different jobs and uh, different cartoons, you know, but me and Dan, we, we spent a lot of time on a lot of different cartoons. Like I would be drawing, you know, like drawing here's page, hands it off to Dan. Dan like cleans it up. Dan, here you go. Just Dan say, Hey, I got an idea. And Dan will give me, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. And then we, you know, we did that a lot. Um, a lot, a lot of cartoons. Like it was me and Dan on, uh, Ghostbusters. Oh my God. You know, we, uh, that, that, and when I, when I started on bat, um, Batman, I gave Dan a call. I said, hey, we're doing a real cool Batman. And what I didn't know is that Dan had already seen, like, you know, he, he was tied in. He, he already knew all about it. And he's like, yes, I'm on board. Nice. And then, you know, and Brad Raider was there. And it's like, and Mike Gogan came on on my crew. And, you know, it's like, and, and Mark Wallace, he was over at Deke, too. So that's where a lot of the crew came from. How was it that um, it seems like when you hear certain people who were involved with the animated series, you know, kind of I, like Paul Dini, you hear him talk a lot and how he talks about how much he loved comics. But it seems like so many of the people that were involved in the show were comic fans themselves. And I think a lot of the reason the show was so great 
was because you guys were able to translate that world so well onto animation. Did it just work out that way that all these people that were working on the show just happened to be comic fans, or did you guys like kind of find like how did that how did that happen? Uh, well, I mean, Bruce um, and uh, Eric, they were having kind of a hard time finding um, people who could draw this stuff this way, you know, like Dan, me and Brad and uh, Mike Gogan, we would sit there at Deke watching uh, Fleischer Supermans on these really crappy VHS copies because you couldn't see it any any place else. And we were just, you know, in love with the Fleischer Supermans. And uh, and we were trying to, you know, and, and obviously Miyazaki was, you know, it was a huge influence on Japanese animation, the Fleischer Brothers, believe it or not. And uh, we were, like, trying to figure out how to do all these techniques and things while we were at Deke. And that kind of look is what Bruce and Eric were trying to grab for that was actually a mandate from uh, gene mccurdy to do a fleischer style cartoon Mm. um which hadn't been done in a long time and back at that time it was the height of the goofy even the superhero cartoons that were done were super dumb and goofy you know and no violence of any sort yeah, people couldn't be punched. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And those rules were still in effect. Tiny Toons kind of cracked that a bit because all of a sudden you had slapstick humor coming back, um, which didn't exist. But over it, um, when we were starting out, Eric and, um, and Bruce had a hard time finding people who could draw superhero stuff or just human figure kind of things and we had a full layout crew and it was uh really difficult at first just to find people that could draw um this kind of stuff like people even if people liked it if you're working in animation for a long time you ain't drawing, uh, you, you, you wouldn't be drawing like realistic style animation unless you were working for maybe Disney features. You know, Disney had some good stuff, too, at that time. They were doing DuckTales, yeah. which was really good. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the Disney afternoon in general is a, yeah. a good staple. Yeah. Yeah, no, Goof Troop was actually a good cartoon too. They mm. just made the mistake of putting it up against Batman in the yeah. <laughs> Oh, that slot. <laughs> yeah. It was not fair. I mean, it's like, really, Disney? You think, you know, like you, you couldn't. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I like the cartoon, but it's like, you know, up against Batman, it's like, well. Mm. Yeah. It's like the only thing that can beat a Disney cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, the, it, at first it was it was very difficult to find people who could actually draw that. As a matter of fact, on on leather wings, um, that was me, uh, Brad, and Dan, and uh, Kurt Gaeta doing the storyboards for that one. 
And it really ran into a snag when it got to layout because the layout was all done in-house, had a full layout crew. And I would get the layouts and I'd go, oh, my God. You know, it's like, really, really? It's like, you know, I, I, is this, is this Batman or is this Papa Smurf? Really? You know? <laughs> and the guy said, well, that's, that was good enough for such and such. And it's like, this guy ain't going to last long. <laughs> you know, and many of them didn't. Um, but, you know, but eventually, so, so that first episode, we really worked on the layouts a lot. Um, we ended up redrawing a whole lot of it. And again, we're, you know, me, Brad, Dan, we weren't layout artists. Uh, Bruce actually did uh, layouts too, now that I remember it. Um, and Kurt. So pretty much when anybody drew a sequence, they ended up storyboarding, uh, you know, doing the layouts to match their own storyboards. And that's like backgrounds and everything. So that kind of is how, you, you know, why the quality was there. And eventually, you know, the layout crew got better and they hired better and better people that were really jazzed about drawing, you know, drawing in a realistic. It's not really realistic, but, you know, it's like a, a realistic style. Yeah. Yeah. You, it, you know, it, they, people showed up. And the problem back then, too, was all the other studios, including Deke, paid a lot more than Warner Brothers did. Warner Brothers was never the most, uh, yeah, they they didn't pay better than anyone else. They paid less. And at first it was hard for me to find, you know, when whenever you tried to get a freelance storyboard artist or a designer and you'd give them the price and they'd say, well, I could get more than that from Disney. And it's like, well, go to Disney because Warner Brothers is not going to give you any more but you won't be able to draw Batman, <laughs> you know? And right from that first episode, the, the quality that was being produced when, when we spoke to Paul Dini, we, we spoke specifically about on leather wings. And when we discussed that segment where Batman is, you know, hanging from, from man bat as they're flying around the rafters of that, that building that's being constructed, Paul speaks as excitedly about that as anyone I've ever heard. <laughs> and that that's crazy that someone who was part of the series is still that excited about the the product that came out of it. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the uh that's kind of I shouldn't say it, it's a secret weapon that we have, you know. We actually really enjoy the stuff. <laughs> you know. There's just like it, it's it's a curse and it's a uh, and and a blessing at the same time because you know, you it's great that you really enjoy especially when you can pull something off like that, that, that comes out that I was very satisfied with many of the shots in on leather wings and boy coming from Deke or even it, I was at Disney features doing a uh, development on Lion King and there's just no gratification at all because everything you do is just, uh, you know, it's just like one tiny cog in the whole thing. And at Deke, you, we're just we. Sometimes you'd get some good animation, but man, that was a struggle to just get any kind of quality. And here you have, and finally, on leather wings, 
when the animation came back, um, and they showed it in the theater, you know, I mean, I had been seeing it on a moviola, you know, small. Yeah, obviously, because, you know, that's another thing, too, about uh, Warner Brothers is like, um, well, it, it was the same at Deke, but you were really hands on with the editors, too. You know, when the footage came back, the directors are sitting there with the editor and, uh, you know, you're cutting the you're cutting the picture with the editor. So you're you're really hands on in almost every single aspect of it. And then you have a genius like Shirley Walker doing music. Uh, now that was awesome. Still, still undefeated. Yeah, no, I mean, when the music was done and Shirley like actually says, you know, well, just as a for instance, uh, she calls me up on the phone and says, would, would you mind coming down to the lot? You know, and um, we're, I'm working out some stuff. You know, and it's a show you directed, you know, it was a Two-Face Part 1, I think. Um, anyway, yeah, it's just like, you know, Bruce and I, you know, Bruce, you know, I think Bruce drove, I can't remember, but it's like Bruce and I go over there and we go walk into this, you know, sound stage. Oh, this is really nice, you know, and there's like the whole orchestra <clears throat> up there. And then Shirley's like, yeah, okay, now I'm thinking about this for, for right here. Here, now just take a look, you know. And then they... Cue picture, beep, 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 and then <laughs> orchestra's going, and Bruce and I are just like with our <laughs> mouths open. And then boom. And she turned out, now what did you think about that? And we're like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I no, no, really, seriously, I want your opinion. I'm like, all I can say is great. <laughs> it's like, you know. She, she, uh, I still don't even remember what problem she was trying to overcome. <laughs> and and she had no idea that, you know, 25 years from now, people are going to have tiny phones in their pockets that when they ring, it's going oh. to play that song because they've made yeah. that their ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's Crazy. like, yeah, no, that, that, that was like another aspect that uh, Warner Brothers, you know, that, that was more than I'd ever encountered up to that point um it was like that was like one of the most wonderful things ever is to watch you know a cartoon that where the animation comes back and i'm really actually jazzed by the animation and the art of the animators and then you have someone who just gives equal love and attention and talent to the music it's unbelievable i have a question and it may be a little complicated but in the animation, um, I just want to know how one directs an animated show versus like, you know, a live action where they're dealing with actors and they're, you know, telling them how to do that. But how how does one direct an animated show? Are you there with the voice actors while they're doing their, their yeah. lines? And are you with the artists and tell them, well, I want this from this angle and whatnot? Yeah, no, you, you're doing a lot of pointing and screaming. You know. <laughs> well, no. You're no. fired. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. No, it's not. It's like, um, no, it, first off, um, as a director, and I'll say this, and some people may be pissed off about it or not, but uh, no director worth their salt, you know, is not a storyboard artist. 
you know, every every good director is an, is generally a superb storyboard artist. And uh, so, you know, you dive in and you're part of the team is like for me as a director, um, you hire people that you have absolute confidence in their abilities. So like my crew and whenever the company would hire some extra guy, you know, it was always a problem, you know, that there's like someone who's not into it or someone's not up to the skills of the other artist. But like I'd hire, like I had no problem with like Brad Raider, Dan Reba, Mike Gogan, you know, if they're my crew, it's not a question of like, uh, we would, it's a question of uh, all of us getting together and, um, me talking about what I want, you know, like this is going to be the Hitchcock moment. And you remember that moment in, uh, you know, in young and innocent where the car goes crashing down through in the, in the mine. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? No, I'll show it to you. And <laughs> going like, we'll look at videotapes and stuff. And, uh, it was like that. That's kind of how the directing is when you have a crew of people that you can really count on, and you know you're going to love the drawings that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And you don't. And we had worked together before, so you know, basically, it's me storyboarding what I want. And then if there's something that Brad or Dan drew, that it was like I suddenly would go, "Oh, wait, suppose we did this," and then you dive in and you. Change. That's how that worked on Batman. Okay. Um, voice directing, we had Andrea Romano. Yes. And I'd been working with actors a lot, and I had done voice directing myself at Deke, um, which you had to do, you know. Um, Marsha Goodman was the general voice director. I worked with Michael Hack, who was another voice director. But at Deke, you were kind of, um, when you were working with the actors, you're it was they were much cheaper too so it was down and dirty so you really had to work with the actors very quickly and you just knew they weren't going to be there very long so you ended up taking doing a lot of things you wanted Mm -hmm. you didn't want or you you know anyway you work with andrea romano and she'll say who do you see for this voice you know if you were, if you, you wanted an actor, like I'll just pick Rachel Ghoul, for instance, she came out and says, who do you see? Who do you see? And it's like, well, it's got to be an English guy. And so we're going like, could it be Patrick Stewart. And it's like, oh, he'd be too expensive. Or, you know, or Michael York. Yeah, let's get Michael York. And Andrea was like, yeah, we can get Michael York. So she got Michael York. But then she called up and says, what do you think of David Warner? Oh, my God. David Warner. He's like, that's perfect. How did you get him? He's like, oh, you know, she has her sources. And Andrea, like, would pick, like, you know, actors would find the actors for you. And when you go to a recording with Andrea, we'd be sitting there, be say, it would be me, Paul, and uh, Bruce sitting on the couch. And we have our notes and we have our script and we're listening. And the way that Andrea would do it, she'd get all the actors in the booth together. So they're acting off of each other. And it's like a radio, a beautiful radio play, you know, and uh, we'd just be listening. 
And there are moments where there's specific things I have in my head of what I want, you know, like for instance, well, Tim Curry was the first Joker. Yeah. And I keep using this one as an example, but he's like, there's like the moment where uh, Tim Curry, I think he, the read was something like, we wouldn't want our little rodent to suffocate. So we'll just punch some air holes, you know? And it's like, I would go and say, could you give that punch a better punch? And he's like, Oh, sure thing. And it's like, you do it. That's, that's kind of like where your influences as a director would come in. But Andrea, you know, she would do it all and she would generally have her own notes. And then after the actors have done everything, everyone goes out and takes a break, you know, and if they're intermingling and having a good time, and then you have a conference with Andrea and you show here, 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 this is the only things I got to say. And she says, well, I'm going to do this. And then Andrea has things that you're going, oh, my God, that's brilliant. You know, <laughs> so that was the good thing about that place is uh, at that time is that everyone was like on the top of their game, you know. Including, makes your job, oh, yeah. makes your job a lot easier. Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I didn't know who Kevin Conroy was, you know. What was your first impression of Kevin? Well, I mean, number one, I would go and say, well, nothing against Michael Keaton, but he should be in the live action movie. He yeah. even looks like him. He had the jaw. <laughs> it's like, I mean. And he was tall. Yeah. And by the way, Michael Keaton in the last uh, the Spider-Man Homecoming, I mean, he's great. He's absolutely great. But I think one of the dumbest things I've ever seen is the fact that um, here's Michael Keaton, fresh off of doing Beetlejuice with the same director, and he's Batman and he's not the Joker? I thought Michael Keaton would have been a great Joker. But whatever. Yeah, anyhow, but no, but Kevin Conroy, he, that guy is like, he looked like Batman, you know? And yeah, and that's that's another thing that you you guys were creating this at that time and gave the world what would still be Batman, you know, to this day. Kevin Conroy is the voice I hear when I'm reading a Batman comic. Yeah, no, and it's, I mean... Christian Bale, I'm sorry, man, but what's yeah. with the gravel voice? Yeah, when I when I read a Batman comic, I, I don't read it like this. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, no, thanks. And it's like you know, and and Ben Affleck, same thing. You know, it's like it just oh, I want to see you bleed. It's like, what are you talking like that, man? And I love the thing about um, when we would have uh, Bruce Wayne as Bruce Wayne, like in the past, you know. You realize that Batman's voice is his voice. You know, when he talks with Talia and he's Bruce Wayne and he's talking with Talia in, like, say, Avatar, it's like, no, as Bruce Wayne, when he's with Talia, who knows who he is, it's just his voice. You know, Batman's voice is his voice. It's the Bruce Wayne playboy voice is a put on that higher that higher register. You know, that's an act. Batman is really who he is. Yeah. That was and, interesting. And that's uh, an important with... thing for the actor to get. 
Say, pardon me. Say that again. Uh, an important thing for the actor to get is, you know, what uh, what side of Batman is the real side, and what side, you know, wh- and what side is Bruce? Yeah. Well, with Kevin Conroy, it was like, I, I mean, the conversations happened, but once the conversation happens once or twice, it's like, but you know, the, no, no, he he gets it. You know, it's like this that that's who he is. You know. He, he, it's like you know he he became the guy. That was his persona. It's like Mark Hamill is the Joker. It's like oh my god. It's like you didn't have to tell that guy what to do. <laughs> like he's, he, he's got Arkham in his name. Yeah, no, you just Mark Hamill would just take off, or or like Arlene Sorkin as uh, oh, Harvey. Yeah, I mean that was a it's just a full on full blooded character you know there was you know you wouldn't tell her what to do i mean i did a couple of times <laughs> one the only i think the only time is like where she uh fire in harley quinade where she fires her weapon at the joker and she goes try this one on pudding and i said no no you're mad at him i want pudding <laughs> and it's like and she just Oh, I get it, you know, and then she's like, try this one on for size, pudding, <laughs> which makes the but joke. I, <laughs> but I guess there's not a lot you can tell to the person who the character was created for, right? Like, you know, Paul uh, creating Harley with Arlene in mind. Oh, yeah, no, there's, he knew, what, they they knew what, what it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's like Paul... I mean, he he would describe it to me. He'd come into my office and talk to me about it a lot. But, you know, I'd say, that sounds really cool, Paul. But I didn't know that she was going to be from, uh, what it sounds like she's from Queens or Long Island, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, that was was Arlene. That was like a revelation. You know, that, that was awesome. And uh, talking about the quality of the people that were uh, contributing, you know, the, their own parts to this. Uh, one of the episodes that you directed, uh, the second part of uh, Feats of Clay, yes. uh, that was, you know, going back to the comic world, that was a Marv Wolfman story. Yeah. Uh, did you get to work at all with Marv, uh, bringing that one to to life? Yeah, um, but that was one of the scripts that was a real problem script. And I, again, I wouldn't blame Marv for that. You know, it was like it was a good story, but there was things in it like it was just too much. Um, and especially part two, where he he's manifesting his powers for the first time. And well, I'll give you for instance the things that you do as a director. Um, the there's a scene in there where Batman's punching the wall and I had to take the hospital sequence myself because I couldn't really describe it to another board artist of what you have to do. And Alan Burnett really wanted him punching the wall in that jar wiggling. And I said, you know, this is impossible with the, the budgets we have. It's like, are you really kidding? You're kidding me? Well, TMS actually pulled it off, but then in comes the, uh, cop which is Clayface in disguise, you know, and Clayface is just, this is one of the very first times that we see, you know, where he's actually impersonating another person, you know, a human being. And he goes, you know, I'll take it from here, you know, 
And Batman, in the script, Batman goes, okay, officer, and he leaves with germs. And then Batman goes, wait a minute, that was not the correct uniform. That was a uniform from something or other. And, and then you being a detective, he chases down the cop, and they meet outside, and then they get into a fight. And then it, it reveals that he's uh, Clayface. And we go, well, that's like three or four pages that I got to get rid of. because It's like I got to lose pages out of this script. It was just too long. So instead, it's like, I'll take it from here. Wait a minute. And then, of course, he just telescopes his arm out. And that's the first time he really manifests his powers and slams Batman against the wall. And it's like, boom, five pages gone. So you're actually so creating. Mar Marv wrote you uh, a movie that you had to turn into uh, the episode. Yes. And it's like, no. And it's like, you know, but it's true. To, it's true to Marv's script. He liked it a lot. I mean, he was very satisfied with it. I don't think the story editors were very happy with me, but whatever. <laughs> you know, you're changing the script without permission. And it's like, no, I talked to Alan Burnett and I talked to Bruce. <laughs> you know, it's and there was just no time. I mean, that's also part of the whole thing was people don't really realize so much about Batman. The animated series was, you know, that was on a tight schedule and a tight budget. It wasn't like there was, I mean, there may be some episodes where a lot of money was spent. But um, like Feet of Clay, the boards went out. Um, they went overseas, went to TMS. And what you see, I think I can only remember maybe two or three retakes in that whole episode. The animation just came back as it is. It was beautiful. And they did it a week early. you know. Wow. So it was on schedule, on time. And on budget. Now you talk about the limitations of the budget, and you know that's definitely uh, to be expected when something is starting and it's unproven. Was it something that changed over time when the success of the show was being seen? Um, not really. I mean, I, I, the budgets really didn't change. I think it was it was pretty much the same. They they weren't spending more money, or you know. It pretty much stayed the same. You know, I, they, they spent a considerable, considerable budget on music, obviously, yeah. you know, um, but animation wise, they were um, pretty competitive with every, every other studio. I think the only studio that may have spent more was Disney. Um, but, you know, there, there was like, a, if I, to quote a number, I think it was like 500 grand an episode total. Um, some things may have been over that, some may have been under, um, but yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think even Sony animation and those places were spending more. It's again, it's like, it's the, the, the people you hire, you know, the, uh, if you have talented people, you know, basically you get the drawings and you get the style and you get the design that you want. And they had a good relationship with the overseas studios too. And they were in there that, well, the overseas studios felt like they were part of the creative process. You know, they were kind of included in the create in the creativity of it. Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I stepped yeah. on Gramps a couple times here while he was trying to ask something. So I'm going to I'm going to shut up and let him go ahead. OK, <laughs> well, I have a friend that he loves Hardak. No. <laughs> and 
he even has like you know some of the mondo have you seen the mondo print posters that they made yeah, yeah. do those you have are... any of those uh yeah i i don't have them no i mean but i've i've actually i've actually i've gotten some cards and stuff and i think oh yes here's one this is this was a gift Oh, that's yeah. Nice. Peter Clay. That is nice. Yeah. So yeah, I guess my question would be, and it, it's kind of a two-parter. One, do you collect some of the stuff from the animated series, like oh. as we just saw? And um, also, um, here wait, I'm gonna. <laughs> uh, I this don't is know. your time to flex. <laughs> I'll show you my foyer. Yeah. In my okay. house. Oh, yeah. okay. And if you could describe it, so we can. Oh my God! Oh, oh there we go. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> See, Wait, first, what is that? That looks like some original art of Mister Freeze there. Oh uh, yeah, that's uh, Mike Mignola. <gasps> oh man! Wow! Jeez. That's like a full page. Okay, so just for the listeners, that is a Mike Mignola original. Looks like a about the size Mr. of Mister Freeze page. over Batman. Yeah. Oh my God, that is beautiful. That was a splash page from one of the Batman specials. Wow. That's like, and, yeah. and on, along the wall are <laughs> boxed. There's the Who's uh, Holy. <laughs> yeah, animated figure series. PC There's the Batmobile. Batmobile. Yep. That's the foyer in my house. Wow. So, <laughs> so do you ever have anybody that, <laughs> do you ever have anybody that doesn't know what you do come over and they see something like that? Well, I mean, I I was married uh, for for like eighteen years, um, but I, I'm I probably shouldn't say this, but it's like uh, if you're uh, dating someone, you know, and they come over the house and it's like, you got a lot of toys. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's like yep, can... this ain't gonna work out. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you know what? You can. This is an open invitation. We also do a YouTube show called Grumps and Gramps where we talk about the fig life. So you can come on to that anytime. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, uh, you're, 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 oh, yeah, yeah there's question. a second part. Go ahead. Would you say that Hardak is more inspired by Blade Runner or Terminator? Uh, both. Both. And it was completely intentional. Um, it was uh, Bryn Stevens wrote that. And I actually worked with her, another person from Deep. She was a story editor on Starcom. And uh, she's a fan, you know, yeah, of, yeah. of science fiction and stuff. So uh, it would be equal, you know. Of course, we got, you know, Rossum. Yeah. I mean, that's Blade Runner. But it, it's, it's both. It's both, you know. Um, but where the robots, when they're they had to be very robotic when, you know, they, you break down to what they are because, you know, <laughs> we beat the hell out of them. You know? <laughs> it was one of the times it was like, it's a robot. You can do whatever you need to. They, you know, you want to crash them down in the, you know, we were very inventive and, and really went off script quite a lot when it came to the robots. So I'm assuming like, you know, with the, the film and, TV standards, you couldn't do so much to a human character, but you could beat the shit out of a robot character, right? Oh, absolutely. We found that out at Deke. On Starcom, Starcom, it's like, you know, that was back in the day when you couldn't, 
do any violence at all, really. You couldn't do any punches to the head, except that Emperor Dark had his minions, who are robots. And they look like robots. They look like Cylons or something. So, And that was done very... They're humanistic, but they're definitely robots without personality. So when they got shot, they... <laughs> I mean... And, and the animation studio, I would have on Starcom, I would have horrible animation, and I'm struggling to make this work. And then you get to the moment where the robots are getting shot up, and the animation is lavish. They put everything <laughs> into that moment. Anyway, it kind of carries over into um, it. That storyboard came in really long, and I actually had to cut out stuff that I really didn't want to cut out. Like the, there was a whole confrontation and fight between Batman robot and Batman. That was the climax. And then Barbara Gordon jumps in and kind of saves Batman's bacon at the last minute. And the Batman robot is destroyed. Um, that I had to cut out just because every time a robot would reveal itself, Every storyboard artist would just give it everything they had, myself <laughs> included, you know. So do I have a Batman robot or are we going to have Marilyn Monroe robot with her face torn half off and, you know, and have that moment? So that that's how it was. You know, just just every artist got carried away. Very fun. Very fun. <laughs> so. <laughs> We were talking all about uh, Batman the Animated Series, but uh, I can see there you're rocking a Connor Kent look with uh, that T-shirt you're wearing there. <laughs> uh, so some some Young Justice vibes. How dare you? That's <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, uh, how did things differ? Uh, was there any uh, change in the way things were being done when you were working on Batman the Animated Series to when it comes to the point where you're doing uh, Young Justice? Oh, it's completely different. Uh, I mean, Warner Brothers was a... When I was there, um, it was pretty much uh, Tom Ruger and um, Gene McCurdy were the people you had to... You know, they, they, were, they were in charge, and they were the producers who were in charge, and you had to please them. And uh, after Batman, I was doing Gen 13... You know, had an office down at the beach, and I was doing Gen 13. Uh, Warner Brothers completely changed um, management. You know, it was just different people, totally different people. And, it, you know, so even if you know, Bruce is still there or whatever, you know, Young Justice was a completely different experience, totally, totally different setup, uh, you know. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, it was very cool stuff. But, um, yeah, it, it's like the company was totally different when I came back, you know, and, and I was and it was, I was, you know, I would I was on Young Justice, but I was also on the a lot of the direct video Scooby Doo's. Mm -hmm. And at that point, Warner Brothers kind of had a tendency to hire you. For the duration of the project and then, you know, and then you're gone, you know, and then they'll hire people back. Whereas when Gene McCurdy was there, they were trying to hang on to everyone that was on the cruise. You know, the Tiny Toons people rolled over into Freakazoid or into Animaniacs, you know, and and the 
Batman people would roll over into Superman. But I was like in between. I ended up doing Gen 13, you know, totally independent of any of the studios. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it was it was a very different experience, completely different. And of course, Greg Weisman's. Um, it's an entirely different thing because Greg's stuff is like these giant, involved, huge interlocking storylines. You know, it's a totally different thing. Now, what's the uh, level of difference when you're doing an episodic series like Batman the Animated Series or the work on Young Justice versus when you're doing something that's more of a feature film style like Mask of the Phantasm? Um, well, Mask of the Phantasm was, again, it was more of an extension of uh, Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. It was done pretty much on the same schedule, yeah. a regular episode. There wasn't like a lot more attention lavished on to uh, Mask of the Phantasm, except that now instead of G, we could be PG. Yeah. So there's a bit more. Uh, you you can go a little more extreme. Yeah, and it and it did. You know, you've got like Joker with blood in his mouth, and that's my fault. I did. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I drew that. <laughs> no, I mean I that that I I. I love drawing the Joker. I love drawing that's the sequences, you know, and I love the whole world's fair with the miniature city, you know, I pulled rank. I had to do that myself. And, and that, uh, that movie still holds up so well. And that's another one of the things that has, uh, inspired current comic creators to the point that, uh, the upcoming, uh, Batman Catwoman miniseries, maxi series from Tom King and Clay Mann, uh, Clay had been uh, bugging Tom and actually, you know, enlisted me to help bug Tom. Uh, we, we were picking at Tom to do this uh, this Phantasm story because Clay wanted to be the first artist to do Phantasm in the in the main continuity comics. So that you know that that movie is still being still being felt uh, in comics. Yeah, no, I I thought that they. Uh... I love the I think that's actually a better Batman anyone else has come up with I think that story I mean that that genesis of that guy that Bruce Wayne who you can see why he takes all of his wealth and all of his time and his effort and works as hard as he does to be Batman and why he continues to be Batman Whereas the guys in the movies now, I don't know why they would ever want to be Batman, you know? Oh, it's like I'm all screwed up, you know? Oh, my mom's dead, my dad's dead, you know? And I mean, well, it's not that, <laughs> you know, it's not that. So it's simple, and it's like, and, and, and I mean, it's, I'm not saying they're bad movies, but I'm just saying that uh, the Batmobile ripping across town and all these cars, these parked cars and traffic is getting smashed aside and buildings are getting collapsed blown up it's like what the hell is he doing <laughs> who's <laughs> like, gonna pay for that yeah it's like are you kidding me it's like, you would never do that. Like, that that's a that's another fun thing though that has been like we've come so far that things like that have now been addressed in comics uh in sean murphy's uh batman white knight he wrote into 
sort of the governing of Gotham City that there was this funding put in place called the Batman Devastation Fund, and that it was what was paying for all of this damage that happened because of Batman. No. I mean, the plain facts are, is that, you know, Batman preserves things, you know. He, he's a, he's a super do-gooder, and it's the same with Superman. You know, mm. it's like the whole thing of Superman destroying the city, and he's like, no, no, Christopher Reeve, Superman. They made the point when he's attacked in the city, and as soon as he sees that people are getting hurt, he goes. You know, he he cuts. He, you know, he leaves because he does. It's like the damage that's happening just because he's fighting these super these villains you know is the reason for him to like retreat so no one else gets unnecessarily hurt Mm -hmm. and the damage you know he takes it out of the city whereas like that you know that that's a that's a reaction that's why that guy is superman you know it's the same with batman batman doesn't use guns you know he doesn't use weapons although against uh mummy monsters and things like that i do have him he does have some percussion grenades <laughs> yeah. you know? but that's, that's that's one that's... of the big differences between why the animated series and animated movies always grab the appeal for most of like comic readers there are people that you know there's a difference between the animated shows and live action shows each one has their own, you know, things you can appreciate. But comic readers really tend to gravitate towards the animated series and the animated movies because it's like watching your books come to life. Yeah. Well, there's there's actually Archie Goodwin. He, there was <clears> one moment in Archie Goodwin wrote um, the Batman that he wrote. Um, he also did like uh, the Manhunter with Walt Simonson was drawing. Mm-hmm. And the Manhunter is a Manhunter. He is a murderer. You know, it's like he's not a murderer, but he fights to win and he's a killer. That is what he was. And then you have the crossover, Goddard Dameron, where Batman and Manhunter are going to, you know, clash. And they end up joining forces. But they are, before they join forces, Manhunter makes the statement, he says, well, Batman says, count me in, because Manhunter says there's this giant cabal of, you know, genius people who are trying to take over the world, who are planning on taking over the world, or are running things, and they're evil, and they must be stopped, and we are going to stop them. And Batman says, count me in, and and, uh, Manhunter is like, sorry, Batman, but this isn't your show. (laughs) You know, because you won't kill, and this is a killing mission. You know, and that's true. And it's like, and even even in that, it's like Batman does not kill. He never will. He won't do it, no matter what. That's the other thing in the Killing Joke. Push as hard as the Joker does. He Batman still won't kill him at the very end, even when the Joker's fighting so dirty. Like, he'll just pull out a gun and pull out a knife, and he claws at Batman's eyes, trying to blind him. And at the end, Batman still hauls him off to 
prison. You know, he's not going to kill him. He won't do it. And and thank you for saying that because uh, that's one of the two points. There are two points in the Killing Joke that uh, people have debated over the years, and one of them is right there at the end. A lot of people uh, contend that what they believe is being insinuated is that Batman killed the Joker. No, but uh, I, I never felt that way at all. And uh, in the past year or two, uh, the absolute edition of Killing Joke was released, and it contains Alan Moore's original script for it. And it says nowhere in there does it say anything about you know Batman kills him at the end no. or make it look like it does. Not not no. at all. So no. there. No, it's like in the Joker finally succeeds as a stand-up comic at the very end. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> I mean, finally. Like it comes, it's. I mean, and that that it's a great ending. You know, mm-hmm. it's not satisfying. Personally, I think creating Oracle out of Barbara Gordon was a cop out for the rest of the people. She could have recovered. <laughs> you know, she could have recovered and continued being Batgirl. No reason not to. It's like they mm-hmm. want. I, I don't know why Oracle had to happen, but there you go. We did get her back eventually. Yep. Uh, to to rewind a bit, uh, I didn't even think to mention this. While, while we were talking about uh, Mask of the Phantasm, I don't know if the microphone picked up the noise, but my dog ran into the room at, at that time, and his name is Beaumont. He's named for <laughs> Andrea Beaumont. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, I'll let somebody else say something. <laughs> <laughs> What, uh, like, well, my, my question is, you, technically, you spearheaded one of the greatest shows in animation history, one of the first episodes, considered the first episode. Like, in retrospect, how, how does that feel, like, to be part of history in the genre? Well, I, I don't, uh, I mean, it's great. It's, uh, I mean, it's great. I mean, I'm really happy that people, you know, I mean, it's that that's kind of like one of the, my dreams from when I was a kid. Yeah. Was to actually, you know, do something that, that continues on and that people really, really like and love. And Um, like back in the early nineties, you know, um, West coast, the the riots, all that stuff. Like, mm -hmm. could, could you ever imagine like, how this series has just become such a classic, like a staple, like just, or you guys were just in the moment at the time, I imagine. When I was doing it, um, Dan Rebo always made fun of me (laughs) and Bruce because I was just like oblivious, you know, I mean, I'm working like a son of a bitch, you know, and working as hard as I could and, um, and, and just doing, doing the job, but I really never envisioned it like hitting being as widely received as ever until I went up to one of the, the wonder cons when it was up in Oakland. And, uh, at that point I kind of knew Denny O'Neill a little bit. Um, and Denny O'Neill was like, uh, at the DC booth at the wonder con. And he says, Hey, Kevin, you know, we're showing your cartoon today. I'm like, really? Oh yeah, he says yeah, yeah. No, we love it, man. We love it. It's like yeah, you should. You gotta come. You gotta come to the showing. Gotta come to the screening. Okay. So I go there, and I think it's gonna be like a typical Comic Con thing. You know, it's like where it's like you know, room some people in it. And I go there, and the auditorium's packed with people. Like, (laughs) I'm like, what the hell? And um, the audience reaction actually 
<laughs> caught me by surprise because there's this one kid in front of me. Um, and I mean, I, I just sat down. I actually, I was actually half had three or four beers across the street at the pub. <laughs> so I was not ready. And I go in there and I'm like, and I, and I, as, as Batman is like riding man bat, this kid in front of me is going, I can't believe they did it. I can't believe they did it. I can't believe they did it. I can't believe this. I don't believe it. You know? And I was like, wow. And just the audience reaction was just tremendous. And that's the first time that I got that I had any inkling, of, you know, that it was going to be that popular. You know, gratifying but embarrassing at the same time because <laughs> when the lights come up, Denny O'Neill comes on and says, "I think the director's here, Kevin." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh man, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm half soused. I don't know what I'm going to say." Uh... It was it was pretty cool though. It was very cool. Well, obviously, we we all love talking about the the things that we've known you so well for for most of our lives. But uh, you definitely have some other things that you're working on right now, don't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> what 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 can you tell us about the new stuff? Well, uh, there's there's one project that I'm doing. Um, there's there's one that's like it's mine. I don't want to. Um, talk about it yet oh come on but then there's another one that's like was created by gary wolf who's a creator of roger rabbit um it's killer bowl and it's a science fiction you know science fiction epic that takes place in the future um or an alternate future i think and uh it's kind of like about it's about the the game taking like combat skills into the game of football, kind of like, mm. and, uh, it's a, it's a science fiction epic, but it's like, and I just talked to Gary yesterday and, uh, really great guy, really great guy. It's going to be fun. And we're putting the crew in the, just start, we're just starting out with that one. Killer bowl. Killer bowl. Um, yeah. Are you going to get any like pro football players to voice act in it? No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> not the point. But that, it's still we're just starting. It's just starting in development, and um, I've been talking to him. We're putting that together right now. Oh. It's, it's, you should get Tom to do a character. Tom is a really good voice actor. Tom. Football player, just killer. Just <laughs> give give us your best killer voice right now, Tom. Well, what, where where exactly is it like taking place in the future? In the future, I guess in the future, though, there's still probably like, I the thing about the future is there's still like like East Coast like accents, like yeah. you know, it's, it's like a football player would be like, oh, I gotta make it through the half, or else they're gonna kill us, something like that. But what like if that. what if like the 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 quarterback is Jason Statham? Oh well, you gotta make sure you run your routes, make sure everyone's doing what they gotta do. <laughs> there we go. Had to get that one in there. Oh, what about Kay, the the coach of the team is Dan DiDio. <laughs> the what? The coach of the team is Dan DiDio. Hey guys, we gotta make sure that we we get up in there. We really we can really give them a good wallop. You know, you gotta make sure that you're doing a good job. You wanna get hydrated at the halftime. Wanna make sure you're eating your orange peels. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's yeah, gonna be we, that we give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was dumb. <laughs> but uh, so that what's uh, what kind of timeline do you think before we start hearing anything about that then? Um, well, like I said, we're just getting started. But that the intention of the Killer Bowl is, um, and it's also the alternate title. I don't know. It's either going to be Street Lethal or Killer Bowl. Killer Bowl. Killer yeah. Bowl. Street Lethal is a pretty good title too. But, yeah, I like that too. But, but Killer Bowl kind of, you know, it's it's um it's it's just we're just getting off the ground right now, um so it's going to be a while, and that is a feature project. Well, lethal Bowl. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I I do like Street Lethal because it's like a play on Street yeah. Eagle. Yeah. No, no. Then it, it's like again, and, and it's like it, I got the script, and it's it's a it, Gary's a good writer. It's a really good script, you know. And there's there's a few other projects too that are out there, you know. It's and it's the interesting thing with the whole COVID situation. Um, and one advantage that I do have is that in the past I have worked um, remotely with artists mm-hmm. and with you know the, all the aspects of the, with the actors and all of that. Um, so. It's, you know, it's actually kind of working to my advantage, to my skill set, actually. You know, I can actually get this off the ground and running. Have you uh, have you found that you've had more time to I know, like guys like you are always working, so it's hard to slow down and like take up, take in what's what's kind of out there. But have, have you had more time during this quarantine to kind of like consume more art and uh, get an appreciation for things that you might have missed? Um, not, well, sort of, I mean, I've gotten into my garage and cleaned my garage out and I found books that I've had since I was six. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and I've like, and I've been, it's actually been kind of cool that I've been able to do that. That's awesome. Oh, and, um, I, so actually I have, you know, and I've been unboxing stuff that's been boxed for a while and. And uh, no, it is pretty cool. And it's like the, the the advantage of being like one of the original geek nerds that I am is that I live in a library toy shop. Uh, oh. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I and I have been able to the the only bummer was that I couldn't go surfing daily like I was used to doing, uh-huh. um, you know, because they had to close the beaches because people just cannot behave themselves. Yeah. Um, but I have been surfing, you know, I have been surfing off and on, so that, that's good. And I, and I live near enough to the ocean, so. That's know. awesome. So, so I, it's like I haven't been shut in totally, but um, no, and it, I mean, I've, I've been rereading books that I dug out that I haven't read for, you know, 20 years, 20, 30 years, 40 years, some of them. Is any of that renewing uh, any of the old inspiration and giving you uh, any new ideas? Maybe uh, yeah. some of these uh, other projects you don't want to talk about, you big tease? <laughs> I don't. God, I'm, I'm looking around. like There's things here that I don't dare. It, it's just like it's like some of them are in like um, – uh, yeah, it's like there, there's one that I will share with you guys when I when I can – when I can, it's like, but I, there's, it, 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 it's in the point where 
the deals are kind of starting right. to be made and you don't want to start talking about it. It's, you know, yeah. Killer Bowl has been announced, you know, um, and another one is Axe Saloon, which is a uh, Western, kind of a mystical Western uh, romance, action adventure romance that takes place in um, California, as a matter of fact, in like 1870s California. And it's kind of a kind of a retelling of um, Romeo and Juliet with an Indian uh, Chumash Indian kid, young man, and uh, a girl that's immigrant from Europe, you know, an English girl, and uh, kind of a retelling of that in the in the Old West, Interesting. with uh, Chumash Indian legends and lore tied in with it, you know. Kind of a, it could be, you know, it's like my intention doing that is I really want that to be, you know, the American, you know, uh, Princess Mononoke. Mm. You know, anyway, that's another project. And then there's, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it. And there's another one from Gary Wolf called uh, Ranger Raccoon which is more of a fun thing, you know, which is more of a Tex Avery kind of feature film, action adventure, but it's got real comedy Tex Avery uh, overtones to it. <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah. I did want to ask, and I, and I hope this is not too personal a question. Did you ever, um, were you able to, ever able to, was your father able ever able to see your animation work in the, in the films and stuff come to life and be like, see my support for him finally came through. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. My dad was there for the whole ride. You know, my dad passed away just a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, oh. but yeah, I know he, he had a good long life and, uh, you know, my dad was tough as nails, but yeah, no, he was, uh, Oh yeah, no. He had his Batman crew jacket. He had his Disney jackets. Nice. My That's dad, cool. No, That's my cool. dad. My dad really. Um, he got to see it, and and he met my mom, and they both, you know, were really happy that with how things turned out, you know, and they're they're awesome. really and they're really you know, really supportive of you know what I've done. I'm glad to hear that. I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. No, it was like, it was great. It was like when I was first working in Hollywood, it was like, yeah, you know, when I was still living with my dad, cause he moved out here. Um, it was, you know, he, he was like my wingman. Right. He was a pain in the ass. <laughs> no star, but yes. They... But was, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, <laughs> it was, it was like, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. And it was like, and, and it was really great when, uh, things started happening. You know, very cool, very cool. No, it's like, and I miss my, dad, but you know, yeah. But what are you gonna do? You know, it's like, but I mean, but I am grateful that he lived as long as he did and got to see things like Batman come to fruition. And he actually, Mark Singer, who was Man Bat, was at my dad's gym. <laughs> so my wow. dad would actually talk to Mark Singer about me all the time. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a. Uh, before we let you go, it's about that time of uh, spooky season. But you were talking about how one of the earliest things you remember, Sinbad, the big Cyclops, 
Um, you also, you know, the the aliens were a huge influence. Anything like any monster movies or anything like Halloween theme that you love that still sticks with you from when you were a kid? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, you know, the universal monsters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, of course. Best. I mean, it's like, and especially I had a real affinity for the Wolfman. Yes. You know, and Hammer films. I'm just a huge uh-huh. yeah. fan. Just name it. Christopher Lee is a god. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, and just in Oliver Reed, I actually got to work on one movie um, doing special effects, uh, two of a kind, with John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, and Oliver mm. played the devil. Oh, <laughs> I got to sit down with Oliver Reed and tell him how much I loved him as a werewolf. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. And I didn't get to party with him, but it's, ah. but it's probably okay. <laughs> hey, uh, Gramps, do you think we can fire off a couple quick lightning round questions here before we uh, before we let Kevin get on his before way? Before his battery dies? Well, we just, you know, with our guests, we like to have a little fun. As we got to know you and your professional, now we... Ask some silly personal questions just for fun. Okay. Um, you know. Now you're from the East Coast, right? Yeah. Okay. So do you like New York style pizza or what the hell they have out in California? Don't even talk about it. <laughs> pizza from Meriden, Connecticut buries anything else. There's <laughs> no question. And they don't have a decent fried clam on the West Coast. Sorry. Okay, do you like <laughs> Shake Shack burgers or In-N-Out? Oh, I don't eat burgers. Okay. Oh. <laughs> well, there we go. I don't eat cow. Okay. Too, it's too much like eating a big dog. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't know about sad. that, but they might be delicious too then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. no, it's like I'm, 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 I'm a sucker. East Coast food, man. I want fried clams so bad. You know. It's they have a few places that sell whole belly clams out here, but it ain't the same. It Just going to Connecticut, New Jersey, you know, New York, New England, all New England. Like my family's from Maine. Oh my God, the food the <laughs> and food. the pizza. The pizza. There is no pizza here. <laughs> See Tom, no pizza. Uh, artisan, artisan flatbreads. <laughs> Sorry, everyone's gonna be mad at me now. You don't like our pizza? No, I I think they know you're telling the truth. Yeah. What's what's your favorite uh like kind of candy snack? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't really eat candy. Oh okay. <laughs> no cows or candy. Baby Ruth. Fried clams. I miss Baby Ruth. Baby I don't Ruth's eat, are good. Yeah. I don't eat them, but oh man, Baby Ruths. What uh, what's your favorite um? Like karaoke song, if you were going to go to a karaoke bar, what's your jam? What'd you be rocking out to? <laughs> uh, either Aerosmith or ACDC. There you go. Hell yes. <laughs> All right. I think uh, your battery is probably down to about 3% by now. So, yeah. Four. Okay. So we better uh, get a proper goodbye with you before uh, it just cuts off. But thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, my pleasure. And uh, whenever you can talk or want to talk about some of these other projects, we would always love to have you back. Sure. Yeah, no, it's like as they're, you know, 
there, there, there comes a point where you can talk about them, you know. Yeah. But, but it's not one of them you guys will really dig. Awesome. Oh, uh, all I'll say it's like it's a uh, yes, it's it's a horror action adventure. Ooh. It takes mm. place in the 1970s. Already oh. dig it. Yep, and uh, uh-huh. it's just like one of those titles that if I spit it out, it's everyone's just gonna run around trying to copy it. Ah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we don't want that. And but I have we'll wait patiently. Responsible for it too on that. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. So well, anyway. good at that. Thank you so much, Kevin Altieri. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you very much, Kevin. Have a great night, sir. You too. Good night. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.